Welcome to the Catholic Foodie Show. I'm Jeff Young, your host, the Catholic Foodie, and you are listening to the Catholic Foodie Show, where food meets faith. And on the show today, we have uh, a number of things we're going to be talking about. First of all, ordinary time. We are officially back in ordinary time, and uh, we're in the year of mercy. So we'll talk about mercy today as well, and uh, memorable confessions. Do you remember your first confession? I kind of sort of remember mine, but we'll talk about that today. I also want to talk about resolutions today, but in the context of the year of mercy. We we talked about resolutions uh, in general last week, but today I want to talk about it specifically within the context of the year of mercy, because it's, uh, I I think that there's a lot that we can learn here and and, and things that we can really do to kind of take advantage of this time, this special year of mercy that we have in the church this year. I'm also going to suggest a few resources uh, for both confession and mercy today. I'm looking forward to that. And and last week, you know, we'd had, uh, we had we talked about Chef Alan Shia and his award-winning new Israeli restaurant in New Orleans, appropriately called Shia. Uh, well, today we're going to hear from Chef Alan Shia. Uh, well, at least we're going to hear from him in the written form. Uh, he has a list, uh, a list of his top 15 must-try restaurants in New Orleans. So if you're planning a trip to New Orleans this year in 2016, uh, you're not going to want to miss this. And if you're not planning a trip, well, you're going to like hearing about this anyway. <laughs> you Maybe you have been to New Orleans in the past and you've had the opportunity to uh, dine in some of these uh, amazing and really famous restaurants. And uh, perhaps listening to the show today, you'll remember back and, and cherish those memories of being in New Orleans and, and being able to dine in some of these places. So we'll talk about that today. We have all this and more right here for you at the Catholic Foodie, or I should say on the Catholic Foodie Show, where food meets faith. I want to thank you again for listening and happy Monday to you. Happy Monday. Uh, it is Monday and I tell you what, I am happy, 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 but I have a reason to be happy, happy, happy. And uh, you know, I don't know about you, but sometimes Mondays can be difficult. Uh, looking at our culture, even we, we joke about it all the time. You know, look at Facebook, look at Twitter, look at your timeline, you know, what's going on. People are talking about Monday and it's all, man, you know, I missed the weekend or, oh, Mondays are terrible or, or whatever. But I have a little secret weapon that I use against Mondays. And, uh, in the mornings I like to, uh, activate this secret weapon. And I'm going to share that with you right now. Take a listen to this. That is Zelly Marie. That is my little secret weapon. She brings so much joy to me and to everybody who, uh, who who she meets. It's just amazing. So this is this morning. This is what I got to to listen to as I got ready to go into the office. Not bad, huh? And she just goes on and on for like three minutes. <laughs> And if that's not enough, if that's not enough, let me see if I can pause this. <laughs> if that's not enough, I got a chance to, to be with her just at the table, uh, playing around a little bit before I left for the office. And this is what that sounded like. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.
There's nothing like that laugh. Nothing like it. Nothing like it. It brings so much joy to everybody. Awesome, awesome, awesome. I hope that brought you joy as well on this happy Monday. In ordinary time, we're back in ordinary time. It's it's kind of weird. You know, it's kind of weird. You know, we had the whole, the, the build up to Christmas. We had Advent uh, and a lot of preparation, uh, a lot of hopefully... Um, uh, a lot of time where our hearts and minds were kind of getting activated uh, by grace, by prayer, uh, in the liturgies, uh, being prepared for uh, the coming of, of Jesus, really the, the announcement of our salvation. And not just salvation two years ago, but salvation for me and you right here, right now. And, uh, and then we celebrated that. We celebrated that and the Christmas, not only Christmas Day, but the Christmas season. We talked a lot about the Christmas season uh, last week. And the fact that the Christmas season just ended when? Yesterday. Yesterday. It ended yesterday with the feasts or the solemnity of the baptism of the Lord. And now we find ourselves back in ordinary time. Now we can say, I think, we can say that ordinary time is not necessarily uh, ordinary, you know? Or, or maybe we could say it a different way and say that it's in the ordinariness of everyday life that it, it's that's where we meet God, right? God meets us right there in the ordinary. Now, before we get into talking about ordinary time, because I do have a few things I want to share with you about that and perhaps a way to uh, look at that in a little different way than, than you may have in the past, uh, I do want to share a video that came through to me. This was sent to me by my friend, Angela Cialana. Angela uh, has a deep love for the Holy Land and the people in the Holy Land. And she knows that I do too. She knows that, you know, not only did I have that that trip that I, I led back in February 2014, but also you know the book that I have uh, written that, that's available on uh, Amazon.com. It's available at Ligori.org and in Catholic bookstores all across the country, and some Barnes and Nobles too. Some Barnes and Nobles carry it as well. Um, it, which is all about Middle Eastern cuisine. It, it was a book based on that trip to the Holy Land, so she knows all this. She knows that it's more than just the land, it's more than just the food, that it's the people that are that are uh, what's most important there. And uh, she sent this to me, and it was, I believe it was last week that she sent this in, and I, I um, somehow or another didn't manage to make it into one of the shows this past week. It does have, I guess you could say, a, a Christmas type of theme to it, but at the same time, I just think it's important. I think it's important for us to keep in mind uh, the reality of what is happening in the Holy Land, particularly to the Christians, the Arab Christians that live there in the Holy Land. They, they are the body of Christ. They are the, the living presence of Christ in the Holy Land right now. They, the Holy Land is not only holy because it, 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 there are places there where Jesus walked, where the, the miracles happened, where all the, the, the events of our salvation happened. That, that, yes, we can say that that makes the Holy Land the Holy Land. But... More than that, Jesus is there now, right, in the body of Christ. Jesus is there now uh, in his people, the baptized people, uh, people who are baptized in his name. He is there. He's present. And, and, and they're really suffering. There's a lot of suffering there among the Arab Christians. And the, the, the population of the Christians in the Holy Land is dwindling uh, uh, drastically, dramatically, and quickly. And so we need to do what we can to pray 
and also to help support them. And uh, Angela sent me this video, and I just want to help spread the word about this. There's a pastry shop that is open in Bethlehem. Now, keep in mind that Bethlehem means house of bread, right? So Jesus, the bread of life, uh, the Eucharist, right? Jesus, the bread of life, is born in Bethlehem, the house of bread, and he's placed in a manger, which that word itself, manger or uh, manger, uh, uh, mangiare, I think in Italian, right? It means to eat. So in a feeding trough is where the bread of life is placed. It's, it's a very strong, strong symbol for us. I think it speaks volumes. But anyway, let's take a listen real quick to this, uh, this sound clip that Angela sent me, the bread of Bethlehem. In a corner of Nativity Square in Bethlehem, the scents of Italian excellence mingle with the flavors of the Holy Land. Yeast, almonds, dates, honey, and raisins. Flavors of two traditions that meet thanks to a collaborative effort between the city of Bethlehem, the Italian Cooperation, and the John Paul II Foundation. This project has led to the creation of a pastry shop, which opened on Sunday, December the 13th, where young Palestinians will be able to learn a new skill. A pastry chef will teach them the tradition of the great Italian leavened pastries, whose special feature is to be produced in Bethlehem. I never thought I would travel to this land to make Italian pastries, like the ones I used to bake in my workshop. Mother yeast is the main ingredient to create large leavened pastries. It's wonderful to be able to bake the Italian pastries here, to make them known in this land and distribute them. It is great to share our great recipes and flavors with the people who live here, as well as the pilgrims. I am glad to teach my skills to these young people so they can count on another economic resource. The challenge of blending the secret ingredients of Italian confectionery with the typical flavors of this land has been fully overcome. It is an explosion of flavors to enjoy. These days have been intense. We work day and night to develop this new flavor with dates and honey linked to the special character of this land. This has been an adventure. It was great to be able to work with them. Their commitment is inspiring. These guys are amazing. For me, it's been an adventure. It's been too beautiful to work with them. Their commitment has been a lot. They're extraordinary guys. It's very nice. This is the only place in the Holy Land where these pastries can be found. I'm very happy to have learned these new skills. It's something new and very special. It's a real Italian pastry shop. We've made croissants and biscotti. It's a very good thing. I think everyone is happy with this project. Many young people are working now because of it. And finally, the bread of Bethlehem, the panettone of Bethlehem. It's fresh, it's good, even with the dates. This panettone is unique. It's not found anywhere else in the world. A blend of traditions that have given birth, right here in the city of the Savior on the threshold of Christmas. A one-of-a-kind and uniquely shaped pastry, the bread of Bethlehem. We are particularly pleased. It was hard work. This is the second part of a project. And there you have it, folks, the bread of Bethlehem. You are listening to the Catholic Foodie Show here on Breadbox Media. we got to take a quick break, but we'll be back in just a minute. 
Welcome back to the Catholic Foodie Show. I'm Jeff Young, your host, the Catholic Foodie. So glad that you are joining me today on this beautiful Monday, this joyful Monday, this happy Monday. And uh, that that little uh, segment that we had, that little uh, uh, clip that we had right before the break, uh, just such an awesome thing to see. You know, sometimes it's just those really small things, these initiatives where things come together to help people. And it doesn't have to be uh, uh, earth shattering. You know, it doesn't have to be something that's earth shadow, but the little steps can really make a big difference. And so you have a pastry chef come over from Italy to help uh, teach uh, Palestinian Christians, Arab Christians, how to make panettone. And they're doing something unique and different. They're making it with dates. They're making it... in Bethlehem, right, of all places, uh, the House of Breads was unique. It's something unique, and 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 it, uh, it's an economic resource. It's something to help keep families uh, employed in the Holy Land and to help keep them there. And that is one of the things that really struck me when I was in the Holy Land back in uh, February 2014, is the fact that you have so many Christians that are leaving the Holy Land because they're being persecuted. And it's not necessarily just by violence. It's the, the persecution is economic. And how can you stay there, live there, support your family if you can't get a job? If people aren't there to help you, if people aren't there to, uh, to employ you, you can't make enough money to feed your family. And so eventually, because of economic stress or duress, you're forced to move. And so there's a bunch of initiatives that are out there, a bunch of things that are going on to help even, even like, uh, what do you call it? Um, uh, subsidies or grant money that foundations are making available so that uh, Palestinian Christians can obtain that money in order to start businesses themselves. Those kinds of initiatives are so vitally important because it keeps Christians there in the Holy Land. Uh, anyway, I, w- I will put a, uh, a link to uh, that initiative, uh, the the Panettone of uh, Bethlehem, in the show notes over at CatholicFoodie.com. I'm also going to embed this video. It's a video that I played for you there. I'm going to embed that in the show notes, again, uh, at CatholicFoodie.com. You can find all of that uh, at CatholicFoodie.com. Now, today we want to talk about the Year of Mercy, the Year of Mercy, and uh, also the Sacrament of Confession, known as the Sacrament of Mercy or the Sacrament of Reconciliation. You know, I remember, I could probably say that I'm in a, uh, a minority of people, a, a small group, a, a, an elite club, perhaps, of folks who, who kind of did things out of order <laughs> growing up as a kid. You know, I, I was baptized Catholic uh, within a couple of months, I think, after I was born. Matter of fact, it was three months after I was born and um, uh, grew up going to mass and all of that. But, you know, those those formative years when you're seven, eight years old, you're supposed to be going to, if you're in Catholic schools, you get your, your catechetical instruction there. But if not, you uh, typically would go to CCD or today they call it parish school of religion. Well, back in the day, um, I was at a public school, you know, second grade. And uh, I did go to, my, my mom had signed me up for uh, CCD and I was going to CCD, but I wasn't, for whatever reason, somehow I got overlooked. I had a story of my life, right? Story of my life. I got overlooked and, uh, and, and they didn't realize I had not yet made my first communion. And I remember sitting in a pew one day and uh, at mass, it was late in the evening. It was a CCD class, but you know, it wasn't in the classroom. We were actually going to mass as, as CCD students this day. And I remember sitting in the pew with all these other kids, which is an unusual thing for me. It was unusual because I, I went to public schools. And when I went to mass, I was there with my family, not with a 
bunch of kids. You know, they did have the teachers there and all that, but there were just a bunch of kids. And so here I am with a bunch of kids and at communion time, everybody's getting up and going up to receive communion. So I just joined them. You know, I didn't know any different. And, uh, and that was my first communion. <laughs> I remember, uh, I had this vague recollection, right? This kind of vague image in my mind of, uh, memory of going back to the pew, still having the host in my hand and looking at the guy next to me saying, what do I do with this? Cause I'd never gone to communion before, you know? And he looks at me and says, eat it. <laughs> so I did. So Jesus came to me uh, quite by surprise uh, the first time. And because of that, I think one of the, the, um, one of the, uh, the teachers there saw this from a distance. And so after the fact, I was very quickly put into the first communion preparation class. <laughs> And I, I remember going through and making, I mean, we made crafts. We did all kinds of stuff as, as little kids, you know, for your first communion. So then I, at some point, got to make my second communion, you know. And I, I do remember, though, that prior to the first communion, what did I have to do? I had to make my first confession. And I have to tell you, I don't really recall anything other than being kind of nervous and scared because it was just a big mystery, to me. And I, I know that, you know, they go through the classes, they tell you about it, you kind of learn about it, but it was really sort of, I don't know, uh, a mystery. And why am I even thinking about this? I came across this, uh, the other day. I want you to take a listen to this. This is a most memorable confession. This is from the ladies of the gist on Catholic TV. Take a listen. Yeah, going to confession is hard. So my very first experience was conf with confession was first confession, obviously, and nobody remembered to give me a tour of the room that I was going into. Oops. So I didn't go into just a box. I, we went into a room, and I walked into the room at my first penance, and no one was in there. Wow, well, I'm not really <laughs> proud of this one, but one of my first times going to confession, after making my confirmation, there was a long stretch of time. So anybody afraid to go to confession, trust me, you can wait 10 years and that priest will still accept you. When you're a shy little kid like I was, it's crazy hard. So I remember going, and I was super worked up, super nervous. And so I kind of looked for a minute, and I looked around, and I finally, um, I didn't say anything. I stood there, and I heard this voice just call out, hello. And I said, God, is that you? <laughs> and then the priest got up and he walked around and there he was. Um, I was terrified. It was a really scary experience for me. So this is, the saying my sins out loud part was nothing after that. I don't even think the priest could hear me. <laughs> but I was just squeaking out my confession. It was good. It wasn't scary, but I was mortified that it had taken so long. But the priest was great. He was like, you know, I'm glad you're back. Like I thought God was in the room with me. And then once it was just the priest, I was fine. What an awesome feeling leaving there. And my dad bought me a candy bar on the way home and it was like, sweet forgiveness. <laughs> that is awesome. Uh, and that, that's really coming across that video. That is what got me thinking about confession, like memorable confessions or, or first confessions. And, you know, I, I do, I remember being kind of terrified. I remember being scared. Like it, this is a mystery and I don't understand it. And I, I walked in and didn't really know what to say. It's like, you know, you go through those classes at the age of seven or, or whatever it is and, and you learn about sin, but I didn't really know what it was. I really didn't have a clue. I mean, I guess you could say that, yeah, I understood that like lying was wrong, you know, and I shouldn't lie or whatever, but 
it it is the whole like confession and forgiveness thing just didn't make a whole lot of sense. Like as an example, if I lied to my mom, I mean, what would happen? You know, I, first of all, if I confessed to her, it, I would get in trouble if I got caught, right? That That's the thing. I, I, if I lied to my mom and I got caught, I get in trouble. If I lied to my mom and I go to my mom without getting caught and I confess it, then I'm probably still going to be in some kind of trouble, but it won't be nearly as bad, right? And then it's that whole thing of, well, I lied to her, so I'm, I hurt her. And so I'm saying I'm sorry to her. And then so she's going to forgive me. And sometimes, I mean, I can even reflect back of times when I was maybe mean or disrespectful or whatever and apologizing to my mom. And my mom is is crying, you know, because I, I hurt her feelings. And so for her to say she's sorry and she's hugging me or whatever, there's something real happening there, you know. And so for a seven or eight year old, how do you make that leap from that real lived experience to going to confession where you're really confessing your sins like to God because God is who you've offended in addition to like anybody else you may have offended, right? And 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 you're hearing the words of the priest that I absolve you, but where's that experience? You know, what is that experience? And I don't know if you have had this kind of experience or you know what I'm talking about. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but there's something like a disconnect. And I bring this up because... You know, I went from being the, you know, the kid who, who made his first communion out of turn, the kid who went, you know, made his second, it was first confession, then a second communion back when I was seven years old, uh, to being a kid who, who, you know, I, I think for, for, I was in a Catholic school. I did go to Catholic schools and my parents, it was shortly after this. I was, I think, no, I take that back. It wasn't until a couple of years later, they pulled me from public school and put me into a Catholic school because they had built a new school close to our house. And so I started going to Catholic schools. And so at that point I was getting the religion in class. I was, uh, uh, you know, routinely going to school masses. They would have reconciliation, you know, so we had all of that as part of our school experience. Um, I did at least for probably four, four, about eight years, you know, going through four years of like, uh, elementary, junior high, and then high school. I had about four, eight years total worth of that Catholic school experience where I'm experiencing the sacraments, whether I want to or not, you know, uh, you, you don't have an option not to go to school mass. You go because you're in school, you know, and that's where they say you go. And, and the same thing with confession, they never forced you to go to confession but there was time dedicated to it where you had this, this availability. And so it was just, I mean, you just went, you know, it's just, and part of it too, I'm sure is just the, I don't want to say peer pressure, but just sort of like the, well, everybody else is going, I guess I'm gonna go, you know? Um, and, and so I went from those experiences to eventually being in the seminary, uh, you know, spent four years in the seminary in two different locations, two different seminaries. And then from there to uh, working in a Catholic school, working in Catholic parishes and being in charge of catechetical and sacramental preparation programs. So I'm now on the flip side, I'm teaching kids and, and I, I'm, I'm doing the whole confirmation thing. So I'm dealing with high school kids who were like, why am I here? So I kind of see it from the other side. And that's one of the reasons why I want to talk about this with you today. But we do need to take a break. You're listening to the Catholic Foodie Show here on Breadbox Media. Don't go away. We'll be back in just a minute.
Welcome back to the Catholic Foodie Show. I'm Jeff Young, your host of Catholic Foodie, and we're talking confession, folks. We're talking memorable confessions. We talked about first our first confession, my first confession, and also the ladies of the gist on Catholic TV uh, shared a little a little thought there too about their first confessions and how nerve wracking that was, uh, or maybe how scary. Or <laughs> I think the common theme was I was terrified. I think it was just so funny. Uh, Rachel Balducci says, you know, she thought the priest was God, right? <laughs> I mean, there's just so many really neat things about confession. Yeah, in teaching high school kids, I used to tell them all the time. I said, you know, some of their, some of them, they just don't want to do it, and a lot of it is just, it's scary. It can be scary, you know. And and so they said, why can't I just kneel down next to my bed and pray to God and ask Him to forgive me? Doesn't He forgive me? And my first response typically would be, Well, when was the last time you did that? When was the last time you knelt down by your bed? and ask God to forgive you specifically for certain sins. You know, a lot of times I ask that question, I get blank looks like, uh, 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 you know, exactly. We, 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 we're looking for an out. We're looking for a way out and we're not saying, why can't I just kneel down by my bed and, and ask God for forgiveness as if we do it all the time? Cause we don't. I mean, that's the problem. Part of it, part of the problem is simply accountability. You know, if we, if we're not accountable to anybody, then we can kind of easily just sweep it all under that rug. You know, that rug that we never move, except when we kind of lift up the corner of it to, to brush more stuff up underneath there. Uh, that, that, that's, that's what tends to happen. It's just kind of human nature. And so I tell, I'll tell kids, you know, why, why, do you, when was the last time you did that? When was the last time you really sincerely, from your heart, asked God to forgive you for something specific? And again, blank stares. So I would also tell them, I was like, look, all I can say is this, you know, you look in the New Testament, Jesus gave the authority and the power to forgive sins to the apostles who then in turn uh, handed down that power and authority through apostolic succession to their successors, the bishops. And the bishops share that authority and that power with the priests that they ordain. And so Jesus in the New Testament very uh, 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 distinctly sets up a proper way, a, a usual way, a normal way in which sins are forgiven. Even James, in the letter of James, right? He writes, he says, Forget, uh, uh, confess your sins to one another. And, and uh, so Jesus sets up this protocol, the normal way that sins are forgiven. But when you study sacramental theology, one of the things that you come to realize and one of the things that you learn is that even though God set up. Jesus established the seven sacraments, right? God uh, works through these seven sacraments, very real ways, very real, tangible ways. He conveys grace through the sacraments, even though that is the normal way that God communicates grace. It is God himself is not bound by the sacraments. God is not bound by the sacraments. So you have things that, you know, we have things like uh, baptism by desire. Have you ever heard of that? Someone isn't baptized by water, but they desire to become a Christian and they, they, they die before baptism. They, that's con- theologically, we refer to that as baptism by desire or baptism by blood, where someone who isn't even baptized dies for the faith. You know, we, we would consider that, that they are indeed baptized by desires. It's God working outside the normal means of his giving of, of his grace, right? God is not bound by the sacraments. And we can say the same thing about forgiveness. 
if someone sincerely kneels down by the side of their bed and they pray and they ask God to forgive them, does God forgive them? I have no reason to think that he wouldn't. Because God, you, you look in the scriptures, you look and see, you look at Jesus and how he was with people over and over again, how merciful he is. And here we are in the year of mercy. So I, I can't say that he's not forgiven those sins, but I also can't say that he is, <laughs> you know, cause I don't know the person's heart. And that's the thing. It's like, so, you know, we can even go to confession. And if we, if we're not really sincerely sorry in our hearts, are we fully forgiven, right? There are certain things that we have to bring to the table when we go to confession and it's hard. And I think that's one of the reasons why the church encourages frequent confession, that we go frequently because we sin frequently. So we need to go, but also, you know, I may not have had perfect contrition. I may not have had imperfect contrition. You know, there may be certain things I was attached to last week, last year, last month, whatever. But if I'm continually trying to face my own sinfulness and bring it to God, then hopefully there's going to be that, that mercy, that forgiveness that's there, but also the, 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 uh, the giving of grace or the reception of grace that allows me to overcome sin in my life and helps me to move forward in my relationship with God. So frequent confession is a very good thing, especially this year in what we call or what is called the year of mercy proclaimed by Pope Francis. You know, the divine mercy uh, 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 message is, has been in, in the United States uh, spread very well by the, the, the Marian fathers, uh, the fathers of, um, uh, what is it? The MIC, I think is the, um, and I can't remember the, the full name at the moment, but Father Michael Gately, I have to look that up. Father Michael Gately is, is one of the, the part of the group who has uh, uh, promoted this divine mercy um, message uh, of, of St. Uh, uh, Kowalska, right? And I, I need to talk a little bit more about that uh, soon because I'm going to give you a list of, of different resources for the year of mercy, both for uh, resources about mercy, ways to understand mercy or to learn more about this message of mercy, but also uh, resources for confession to help you with confession. You know, for myself, I'll tell you that um, I have, uh, I ha and I think I've shared this with you before, I had a very powerful conversion experience when I was in high school. Uh, I was probably, uh, I think 15 years old at the time, 15, 16 years old at the time, 16, I was 16. And, um, it was a, an experience that left me with a conviction that all this church stuff, right. Everything I had been learning in religion and all that for years, hearing at mass, all of that, all this church stuff and Jesus was absolutely true. It was real, more real than anything else I knew. And it was absolutely true. So it left me with that kind of a, a conviction and, and, and it changed my life. And as a result of that, I did uh, start going to confession on a regular basis. I mean, I remember uh, going like once a month and then at, at one point in my life, it became once every two weeks. As a matter of fact, when I finally went off and was in the seminary, the first go round with Mother Teresa's priests, I was in religious formation with them for two years. Um, it was... Uh, it was just part of the way of life of the community that you went to confession every two weeks. Canonically, uh, the preference was that you had a, a priest from the outside of the community 
who wasn't a member of the community who would come in to hear confessions. So every two weeks we had a couple of priests who came in and they would hear our confessions and offer spiritual direction. And uh, so I went for years. I mean, for those two years, for sure, I went every two weeks, but those two years got me into the habit of going. And so for years I went every two weeks and, and, you know, it, it's a, it's a beautiful thing to be able to, to do that. But I will say that sometimes, especially if you're like me, I tend to be a perfectionist. Sometimes, um, frequent confession can lead to, um, perhaps a a hyper-focus on your own sinfulness and, and, and less of a focus on the grace of God. You know, there are a lot of books out there that'll, uh, resources that'll help you with something called scruples. And I don't know if I ever really would say that I had scruples. I do know that, uh, I did struggle for a long time with just a very, uh, well, perfectionism. I'm, I'm, I'm perfectionist. I come from a, I get it honestly, I come from a long line of perfectionists. Okay. And, and so perfectionism is very, um, painful, because you can never, you're, it's almost like being in prison, right? You, you're never really measuring up to your own standards. And I'm, I've got a, a, an article here I'm going to share with you that I think if you ever struggle with this, if you struggle with being a perfectionist, if you're too hard on yourself, this may be a very good article to start out with in the year of mercy. And it's written by Elizabeth Foss, who is a freelance journalist. She writes, uh, she has her own blog, but she, she writes extensively. And this particular article appeared in uh, Clary, uh, the Catholic Herald, catholicherald.com in the, uh, in, in Arlington, Virginia. It's the, the diocesan newspaper there in Arlington, Virginia. And I'm going to share this with you in, in just a few minutes, but uh, perfectionism can be very painful because you, you feel like you never measure up. And she's going to make a point here about, mercy that I think is, is vital. Have you ever been on a plane? You've been on a plane and you're, you, before you go, before you take off, the flight attendants come out and they give you like this pre-flight safety presentation, right? Which most people, if you look around, they've got their iPods going or their, their earbuds in their ears, they're reading their, you know, newspapers or magazines or whatever. They're not really paying attention. You have a little safety card in the seat in front of you. So, but some of that stuff, you know, in the right situation would be really good information to know. Um, but if you fly frequently, you've probably heard it many, many times. But what do they say about the oxygen masks? You know, if the, if the, if the compartment loses pressure, what's going to happen? Oxygen masks will fall from the, 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 the roof, the ceiling in front of you. And one for each seat. And what does it say? For, especially for parents traveling with children. Put your own mask on first before you put on the mask for your children. That's a very important thing because we have to understand that we, if you're trying to struggle to put a mask on your child and in the meantime you pass out because of lack of oxygen, then neither your child nor you could end up living through the experience, right? So uh, that that's a good thing to keep in mind. Sometimes we have to take care of ourselves first. Another famous saying that you may have heard is, um, you can't give what you don't have, right? You can't give what you don't have. And this would apply here too, when it comes to mercy, if you don't have mercy, how can you give mercy? I think there's some excellent, excellent parables in, uh, the gospel of Luke. Matter of fact, that would, uh, that we could probably extrapolate that truth from, right? that you can't give what you don't have. Uh, But we are, again, up against a break, so we will be back uh, in just a minute. You're listening to The Catholic Foodie Show here on Breadbox Media. Don't go away. We'll be back in just a minute. 
Welcome back to the Catholic Foodie Show. I'm Jeff Young, your host, the Catholic Foodie. So glad that you were here with me on this beautiful Monday afternoon. So, so happy about that. Uh, it's a good day because I got to play with my baby girl this morning, little Zelly Marie. She was just laughing and cooing and kind and all that stuff that babies do. And I thought, man, there's nothing better than this on a Monday morning. I just absolutely love it. So I'm glad you're with me today. I'm hope, hopefully, the little sound clip I played for you earlier is bringing you a little bit of joy. And hopefully, today's topic of confession of mercy uh, is going to bring you some joy as well. Now, I mentioned uh, before the break this article by um, Elizabeth Foss. Fantastic article. It's called Merciful Resolutions, and it's it's published in the Arlington Catholic Herald. I'm going to put a link in the show notes over at catholicfoodie.com for you uh, so you can check this out. But basically, this is what she's talking about. She says, you know, if this past year has been a bit of a struggle, you know, we've got a new opportunity right now in 2016 to start over again, you know, but she she kind of builds up to this and she's talking about well, what happens, you know, if, if you're afraid, what if, what if this year is no different than last year? What if I'm stuck forever in this place of discouragement? She says, what if I, what if we can't do better? She asks. And her response is cease striving, cease striving. This kind of goes back to that give up, just give up that I talked about last week. If you remember that. I think it was Monday of last week. Give up uh, this year because God is God. God loves you. That's what she says right here. God is God, right? He is God. He makes all things new. Lean in and trust him. All those things you hope for this new year, all the ways you want it to be better than last year, put them at the foot of the cross. Trust him with them. Then resolve to live anew in his mercy. Mercy makes all the difference is what she's saying. She says, we stand before the threshold of a new calendar year, having just thrown open the Jubilee doors and stepped into the year of mercy. This is the church. This is the year the church has set aside to wash us in compassion. This is the year the church has set aside for us to do the works of mercy that bring relief to the souls and bodies of our neighbors. Mercy is like oxygen, though. You can't extend it to others without first being merciful to yourself. None of those resolutions, none of your fondest wishes for this year to be different, uh, for this year to be different, stand a chance unless and until you live mercy inside your own skin. I love that. I absolutely love that. She says, the fear of being forever stuck, well, it's fueled by your unwillingness to meet the merciful Jesus and surrender. Again, give up, just give up give up to God, right? She says, may I suggest three resolutions, which you might try three resolutions, which can open the floodgates of grace and the year of mercy. The first, give the first five minutes of your day to God. Longer would be better, she says, but you know, start small, five minutes, do something, open up your Bible. Maybe you have a, a, you know, you do morning prayer. You could do morning uh, prayer from divineoffice.org. Perhaps read the mass readings of the day or some other kind of a devotion. But something, right? Connect with God. The first five minutes of the day, give to God. That's that's an excellent uh, possible resolution there. The second resolution, she says, is... uh, uh, it, it, she says it requires a bit more planning and a little bit more courage, but go to confession once a week, right? As we're talking about today, confession, she says, frequent confession helps us to identify those sins we commit over and over again. Beyond identifying them, confession helps us to see the patterns which nurture the sins. For instance, 
I go to confession and I confess again that I'm irritable and short-tempered and fearful. In the course of the conversation in the confessional, the priest recognizes that for me, sleep deprivation is the near occasion of sin. If I don't want this year to be the same as last year, I'm going to have to sleep more and sleep better. That's an eye-opener right there, huh? Further, I'm going to have to exercise and to eat right because those two things affect my sleep and my mood, and so they affect how I live in the world. See, that's where perfectionism sometimes creeps in for me because, and you can ask my wife about this, sometimes I may lash out at the kids, I may lose my temper, I'm not patient enough with them or whatever. It's not that I'm mad at them. Who am I mad at? Me. I'm mad at myself for some reason. You know, I I failed to live up to some ideal that I set for myself and I'm just taking it out on all the people around me. (laughs) That's not a good thing, you know, but to get behind that and to find out, okay, what can I do to make a change here? What can I do? How can I, what I need an awareness of what's going on. So I know how to pray to God. So I know how to turn it over to God. So I know how to let God fix the problems. So Elizabeth, her third, her third resolution, she says is more difficult. She says it's the year of mercy. Our first instinct is to ask how to bring mercy to others. May may I suggest that the best way is to extend mercy to yourself first. Loving Jesus and loving others as Jesus loved us begins with accepting ourselves. So she says, my struggle this year has been with disappointment. Talking about this past year. And that disappointment has been a fire fueled by judging too harshly. We cannot love others unconditionally until we love ourselves unconditionally. We cannot love ourselves until we extend to ourselves genuine mercy. If inside, if inside our heads we have a running critical dialogue with ourselves, chances are we're going to judge others just as harshly. We find ourselves lacking. We see our faults. And then we look around and we begin to identify the faults of others in order to make ourselves feel better. That paradigm keeps us stuck in last year's muck. When we accept ourselves and when we resist the urge to try to be superior to our neighbor, and instead, of, and instead extend grace and mercy, we are open and receptive to him. At last, we'll have the strength and the grace we need to effect real change in the new year. Again, that's Elizabeth Foss, a freelance writer, and this was in uh, the Arlington Catholic Herald. The link will be in the show notes over at catholicfoodie.com. So we talked about mercy today. We talked about uh, confession. I'd love to hear from you if you have uh, any memorable confessions that you'd like to talk about or maybe your experience of the mercy of God in some kind of way. I'd love to hear about it. You can call and leave voice feedback for the Catholic Foodie Show by dialing 985-635-4974-985-635-4974. Leave me a message. I could play it right here on the show. I'd love to hear from you. All right, folks, we are uh, quickly running out of time on the show. It just goes too fast, doesn't it? Just goes too fast. Uh, we talked about uh, we talked about a lot of stuff, but we haven't gotten to everything that I wanted to talk about today. You know, one of the things I wanted to talk about, I'm going to try to pull it up right here, uh, is um, Alon Shia's uh, top 15 restaurants. And I don't know if I'm going to be able to get to that today. 
I still have to find it, but I can talk to you about some resources for confession and for the year of mercy. Um, let me just go through. I got a list of seven right here. I'm going to put links in the show notes over at catholicfoodie.com. The first would be a book by Benny Flynn, uh, not Benny Flynn, Vinny Flynn, excuse me there, Vinny, Vinny Flynn called Seven Secrets of Confession. You know, I talked in the beginning of the show about how scared some of us are uh, of confession. And we could be scared for so many different reasons. And some of us are scared on the one side because, you know, it's hard to, to imagine the, you know, the, the having to confess to another person or, or whatever. And then on the other end, you have some of us who are terrified because of the battles we fight on the inside of our minds and hearts. You know, so it's, it's just an, an odd mix there. Uh, but Vinnie Flynn in Seven Secrets of Confession really does in a very practical way help me and you uh, to more easily approach that awesome sacrament of grace and mercy. So I recommend that, Seven Secrets of Confession. I'll have a link in the show notes. I'll take you right to it. Just go to catholicfoodie.com. Along the same lines in this year of mercy, Seven Secrets of Divine Mercy, you can find that. It's also by Vinnie Flynn. You'll find that book uh, to be very helpful too and really explaining what is divine mercy all about, the devotion to divine mercy, but also uh, this year of mercy and how we can get more out of this year of mercy. So that's, I love that. I have been thoroughly enjoying, uh, I'm a, on a daily email list, I subscribe to this daily email, again, from the Marian Fathers, uh, and it's called the Divine Mercy Daily, I believe, the Divine Divine Mercy Daily, something like that. And uh, I'll put a link in the show notes where you could sign up too to get this, and you just get every morning a, a short, very short email in your inbox uh, from the Marian Fathers telling us you know, just some reflection for that day on divine mercy in our lives. And I, I've thoroughly enjoyed that. It's, a lot, it's really good. Um, <clears throat> one of my favorite uh, writers, spiritual writers, uh, Father Raniero Cantalamesa, who is a Capuchin Franciscan, he has a book out. It's called The Gaze of Mercy. The Gaze of Mercy. I'll have a link in the show notes at catholicfoodie.com for that. Um, Father Michael Gately, I mentioned him earlier in uh, the show. He's written a number of books, Consoling the Heart of Jesus, which was phenomenal, 33 Days to Morning Glory, another one. Again, phenomenal about Marian consecration. I love that book and I've I've read it more than once. Uh, He's got a couple of pamphlets out. One is called uh, Divine Mercy Explained. I'll have very simple kind of a pamphlet thing. You can get an actual print copy of it. It's also available on the Kindle. I have links in the show notes to that. Uh, very short, um, but excellent, excellent explanation or, or overview of what the divine mercy message and devotion is all about. Uh, and he also has a second one. It's called Divine Mercy Image Explained. So the two can go kind of in tandem. You've seen that that image of Jesus, the divine mercy with the rays, the red and the white rays coming from his heart. He stepped into the th- threshold of a door doorway. Uh, Father Michael Gately has that little pamphlet there to explain the divine mercy image. He also has another book out. Uh, I know he's working on one right now. It should be out soon. That would really be helpful in the year of mercy. But there's one that came out, I believe, last year, which is very pertinent and also has gotten incredible rave reviews. I just bought this book today, so I haven't started it yet, but it's called The Second Greatest Story Ever Told by Father Michael Gately. Uh, You want to try that one out this year in the year of mercy. And then finally, Rediscover Jesus by Matthew Kelly. That was given to us in our parish. All families received a copy of that in our parish this year. So I'm looking forward to diving into 
that and rediscovering Jesus. We are at the end of the show, folks. Thank you again so much for listening to the Catholic Foodie Show here on Redbox Media. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening, and I will uh, talk to you again next time. Until then, bon appetit.